You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show and my other show, Enthusiasts, plus to get the latest interviews, K-pop news, album reviews, and so much more, subscribe to the show's free newsletter at 17karatkpop.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-pop. Today, the episode is a bit different than usual, because last week I gave a big Autism Acceptance Month speech. It was really hard to do. So, so scary, but I did it. So to celebrate and to just share with you all what I said about autism and the artist whose music has shaped my life, my life story, here's the recorded version of that speech, which is kind of off the cuff. I didn't verbatim just follow word for word my written speech. That you can read for yourself. I'll link to it in the episode description. But listen to this episode for the more winning it kind of casual version of my message. And please share with anyone you know who just wants to better understand autistic people, be a better ally, etc. all year round. Enjoy! Before I share my stories, which I am going to do in my typical fashion, which is through the soundtrack of my life, I want to clarify my preferred framing. I do not have autism and I do not live with autism. I just am autistic. I used to not care about this distinction, and some autistic people never do, but I found it empowering to just define myself as autistic as if it's just another adjective. Autism is not a disease I live with or a crippling condition from which I need to be cured. The autism cannot be taken out of my life story without editing it to the point where it reads like a long redaction. Trying to take the autistic traits out of me is pointless and harmful, so instead of treating me as a puzzle piece, I despise the puzzle piece symbolism, (laughs) I don't need to be molded to fit into society's puzzle as the broken puzzle piece. Instead, I would prefer to be thought of as just my own puzzle. There's room at the table for more than one puzzle. Because I am autistic, I am easily overwhelmed by my senses, so smells are extra strong, lights are extra bright, sounds are extra loud, etc. But, and also I can't stand to be touched, I get claustrophobic easily, uh, changes in plans kind of freak me out, um, I have a very busy inner world that can be distracting, all of that stuff. So it makes sense to see autism as a disease, however, I still dislike that framing. Because once it starts being talked about like people with autism or people who have it, that becomes the, the flattening definition that suddenly supersedes or replaces everything else associated with them. And autism is an intrinsic part of my worldview. So you can't, again, you can't take the autism out of me. It's always going to be there, but it's not a dark cloud that hangs over every single thing I tell you about myself. And so all too often the headlines say, look at what someone did despite autism or after overcoming autism, when really what they overcame were just social obstacles to uh, neurodivergent people who want to just be existing in a neurotypical world. And so replacing autistic with any other adjective shows that issue, because if you view anyone as just their adjective, like if you just said someone was athletic or intelligent or whatever you want to say, that's not all they are. They can be multiple things. And so autistic should be viewed that way as well. And also, if a student is bullied for acting uncool, the parents and teachers shouldn't say, well, they had it coming, of course, right? If someone is uncool or weird, or shows weird traits, um, is weird socially, is awkward, the solution is not to blame them or try to fix them. The solution is try to treat the bullies and the others how to better understand them and just show them basic human dignity. And mistreatment is not just something we just bring upon ourselves by our very nature. 
I do struggle in ways I wouldn't if I were not autistic, but the root cause of the struggle is less about being autistic and more about being autistic in a world not designed for autistic people. But I found very useful the Death by a Thousand Cuts artwork that Emily Barker put together. It's actually, her artwork is Death by like 7,800 something cuts, so obviously way more paper, but I just thought it was a really great way to visualize the concept of Death by a Thousand Cuts when you have certain microaggressions or whatever you want to call them every day. And so for me, those are, you know, the, the wording choices. And not everyone cares, but everyone has their things. And so I just thought that was a good way to kind of show that it's a bigger impact than you think. I also just want to call out while I'm here talking about just autism awareness, the issue with the framing of autism rates on the rise, because I see that a lot these days. And first of all, it's not even really true because just if autism rates are on the rise, that doesn't mean the cases are, if you want to call them cases, that just means that more people are officially getting reported as diagnosed as autistic. And so if more people are getting diagnosed as autistic, that doesn't mean more people are. It just means maybe we're learning a lot more of us are out there than you ever thought. And maybe that's not worthy of alarmist headlines. The ways I'm able to connect with the world uniquely are rooted in music. And I'm just in awe of musicians who find ways to articulate their complex feelings in such short but powerful and multi-dimensional ways that resonate even with people like me who don't do well with straightforward communication. So I have to tell my stories through my life soundtrack because I associate every key memory with a certain song for better or for worse. And so the first up I have to share is associated with Fishing in the Dark by Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Uh, don't ask me why it was chosen as my dance recital song, but that's what the teacher chose. So uh, in my first dance recital, I was four with a bunch of other preschool age kids and we got these weird fake fishing poles and sparkly outfits and basic, I don't know what the aesthetic was, but it was add sparkles to fisherman's sheet or something. And, and it was, you know, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was interesting because that was my first ever time on a stage performing and no one I don't know if you've been to a four-year-old's recital, but no one dances at those things. They, they look at the wings, they watch their teacher try to tell them, come on, do this, and they don't do it, and they just wave to their parents or whatever. And so that stands out to me, not because, not because I wasn't participating or anything, but because externally I wasn't, but not for the same reasons. And I only realized later that my inner monologue during this recital was so different than other four-year-olds. Because they were not dancing because they were like, ooh, pretty, pretty toy we get to play with, or ooh, hi, mom, or whatever. And I was up there thinking, why am I doing this? Like, why am I standing here with a fake fish in a weird outfit? Like, I just want to dance. I wasn't forced into dance classes. I genuinely just wanted to dance. So it wasn't that kind of thing, like a stage parent forcing me to do this. My issue was with the, the extraness, which is very ironic that I didn't like the performative aspects of a performance. But there was something just... It just every little detail that was designed to to kind of make it more exciting for a kid to be on stage to me was a distraction. It was I was already you know overstimulated and I just wanted to dance to feel the music and that was one of my earliest memories of thinking wow I guess taking a weird serious what is the purpose of this analytical approach is not what every four year old's doing in that kind of situation. The next big song I, do, I associate with memories is Seven Things by Miley Cyrus. If you're around my age, you know at an elementary school that was, that was the song everyone was playing. And that was one I heard at sleepovers all the time, which I kept going to. 
I felt kind of obligated to say yes, which is weird in hindsight to feel like no one's forcing you to go to sleepover. But for some reason, I was, uh, I, I still felt like I had to say yes, even though I didn't like it. Because again, I was a very serious analytical kid. And I'm like, what is the point of this sleepover? I'm just like, gonna be with other people and we're gonna like talk and throw pillows at each other or something. Like, I don't understand like the, the purpose of a sleepover. I was very, very analytical and didn't understand that. But I figured how else am I supposed to connect with people? And it was also just a weird, overwhelming environment because it was always loud and noisy and just full of activity. But I figured that was kind of what everyone was supposed to get used to in life. Like that's just, the frenetic energy is just something you could learn to love. And I didn't realize till years later that I was actually masking. I hadn't known that term, but masking is basically when an autistic person hides what makes them autistic. So if you see someone and you think, well, how are they autistic? They made eye contact with me or they... They were touched and they didn't squirm or anything. That's not, that doesn't mean they're not squirming internally. That means they found a way to, to internalize that instead. And so I realized later that I'd gone to the sleepovers and been masking. So I kind of cosplayed as a neurotypical person for quite a while. Black or White by Michael Jackson. This one was another dance recital memory affiliated track. And this one for a better reason though, because I had finally gotten to be a part of a dance group with other people who actually were there, not just because their parents encouraged them or whatever, but they really genuinely had that shared passion for it. So that was really cool. We synced up, we had great synergy, we actually took it seriously, but we were still working in like a local park district type group, not like the big time pro or pros in training groups. So we were basically in a dance recital among a lot of people who didn't really care and were just there to have fun. So we may have looked really good just because of the comparison, but I like to think we were actually quite good. And I was with other people who really liked it. So that really gave me the sense of, of this is why I was in dance. I wasn't here for weird flashy extras. I was here for the, uh, the feeling of being part of this synergy, this group. I even, I enjoyed it so much, I even volunteered to do the solo. So I did like a solo intro dance transitioning to the next act. And after the event, I overheard people talking about how much they liked the black or white dance group. And I was really scared to hear that because people like saw me and, but I was also really excited. So I'll kind of explain what I mean after the next story. Over the Rainbow by Judy Garland. So this one is associated with an eighth grade assembly I went to, and that was profoundly life-changing. I feel like every middle school would be way better if they had this kind of assembly where the speaker basically said, statistically, there's no way people haven't bullied each other at this school, so we're just going to sit here until someone comes up to the mic. And so people just, you know, there were the longest minutes of my life of awkward silence where people, like everyone's just fidgeting, but we felt trapped because he said, we're not leaving. We could stay all night. if it, Someone had to get up and say, hey, I'm sorry, or even just what they promised to do to be more friendly in the future or something. And... It was very long, but it was only a few minutes. And then someone finally went up there and said, kind of just mumbled something like, well, I feel bad. I, I wasn't really paying attention to, and he said the guy's name. And uh, so it started kind of like that where some people would say like, sorry, I guess we did kind of just leave you as an outcast and didn't bother to bring you into the fold. And it was bizarre to see all these middle schoolers suddenly get so mature. And one by one, suddenly it was like the faucet would turn off and the steady stream of people started going to the mic and they would, some were very detailed in their apologies. Some were very finger wagging at us. Like, why aren't you guys, you know, be nicer to so-and-so? And it was very eye-opening and incredible. 
And then, of course, I was very touched when someone said my name and talked to me and said, you guys need to stop treating her terribly. And that was really incredible. And what's interesting to me is that I linked that memory to the black or white one, which is weird. I didn't mean to do that, like color theme black and white to Over the Rainbow. But that is how fate worked out, because in both cases, I realized I really, really want to be seen and I really want to be heard. But I also am so terrified of being seen and heard. And so I get both simultaneous extreme emotions in both instances. And Somewhere Over the Rainbow or Over the Rainbow was what played as everyone left the auditorium that day, left the gymnasium where we had the assembly. It was bizarre because people left crying and hugging and jocks were talking to theater kids, were talking to nerds, were talking to uh, everyone. It was bizarre like the, how the cliques dissolved after that assembly. Cheerleader by Omi. This one I associate with a friend of mine who I've changed the name of to Aiden for the sake of privacy. And this was his favorite song. It brought him a lot of joy and strength, even though it was kind of just a simple song, but it just made his day. And it helped him a lot during his cancer treatments. Uh, he passed away before we could graduate together. Um, but I really connected with him, and I always think of him when I hear this song because, uh, first of all, he felt music like I did intensely, and um, that was really cool to see someone else connect with music so deeply. And second of all, it was very cool because he was kind of like the first person I like clicked with in a way that I hadn't before where he was weird too, and I, I honestly actually don't know if he ever was officially considered autistic. I would be incredibly shocked if he wasn't autistic because there were so many things that could go unsaid that we just understood about each other and how outcast-esque we were. <laughs> so much could go unexplained that it would shock me if he wasn't just like me. And so that was a great way for me to realize that there are actually people out there who, you know, you don't have to mask around basically. And really also an, a pivotal moment for me to realize the power of music to shape memories. People are always really surprised to hear that I really love rap music, but if you think about it, it's actually not as strange as you would expect. Because throughout my college years, rap was a great go-to for me because I get overwhelmed with my senses and sources of anxiety very easily. And I view my senses kind of as like an iPhone with the volume and the brightness up. That's how I describe it. And I just, I can't regulate that. I can't turn it down or turn it or dim the light or anything. I, it's just, it is up on high alert all the time. And so when I find something that gets my mind to sort of get away from thinking about the volume and the brightness and stuff, that is something I just really cherish. And so certain rappers' work has kind of been that go-to because it's so mentally stimulating and so much to think about of trying to remember it and recite it. And the, the, the repetition or the rhythmic aspect of it is just does something to my brain. Those are some of the artists who I would consider favorites and go-tos of Big Sean, Kendrick Lamar, Chance the Rapper, J. Cole, mostly Kendrick Lamar. Because they taught, they showed me how rap is actually poetry set to music, that's all it is. And I was fascinated by rappers and just how they found words and cadences to fit an emotion in a way that I thought was just so underappreciated and misunderstood about that genre. It was really just incredible to open myself up to. My introduction to K-pop was a huge moment as well. K-pop actually structurally, on a technical level, is different from Western pop. It has more melodic layering, it has more genre blending, it has more sound effects thrown in there, it has more to it. And also the acts have a lot of visually stimulating videos, like very eye-popping, very colorful, also lots of in-sync choreography. So it's kind of mesmerizing on another level. And so that really connected with me because music has always been my go-to escape and immersion. 
particularly 17, hence the fact I started a show called 17 Karat K-Pop. They're my ultimate favorites and kind of inspired everything. And their videos really, really just drew me in because of the every detail about them is so incredible. I mean, every, every moment of every video is so cinematic. They find ways to tell stories through the dancing, through the lyrics, through the t song titles, through the, the you name it. I, de I dove into their world after long, stressful days on campus and stuff as kind of my therapy, but also it kind of became a new outlet for me too. And I figured out, aha, that's how I understand the world through music. And they got their message across to me through all sorts of different stimuli and ways to get that across. And I was just so amazed that they could, they could do that. And uh, that led to my whole series about them. So yeah, that's just a little s snapshot. I have a whole running essay series about their discography. So if you really want to get into the nitty gritty, that's a topic I know very deeply. And I have an essay series about that on Substack. ETS were another key group for me throughout college to kind of help me break out of my shell. Um, I surprised myself because I never voluntarily would talk to other people and suddenly I was because we were talking about BTS and so that was really exciting and weird for me and they also just kind of gave me a new realization about an outlet I could use to connect with people because they had a habit of putting uh, book recommendations to their work so like each musical era usually has like a book they recommend we read or a poet or an author they recommend you check out some some sort of media besides the music that they want you to explore to fully get the concept album and that really opened doors for me because I used to never like fiction they made me realize a lot of fiction is incredible. Some of my favorite books are now fiction. And I wouldn't have picked up those recommendations if it weren't for their advice. And the, the books they've suggested are quite philosophical and deep sometimes, but really thought-provoking. And another way that I, I realized, wow, the power of music and other media to, to get a universal message across was something so striking to me as someone who struggled to get any message across. Other K-pop artists I have to shout out include Stray Kids and NCT, some of my other favorites. Their catalogs really, to me, are just shiny examples of like so much to see and listen to at once. And it's just the ultimate high, the ultimate energy boost. They're just very immersive sounds and just they're so full. And so I remember these artists stand out to me because they got me to stop masking. Like I would suddenly on canvas, you may have seen me, I, you know, I'd have my headphones in and I was, I was kind of nodding along or I would kind of rock back and forth to it. And the little like, t I don't know if you call them ticks, but little uh, external indicators, this person is a little different. I kind of stopped hiding those because the, I realized, wow, I have something that makes me feel so good. I don't even care. It surpasses the, the fear of judgment to rock out. It's worth the price of that. And so that was a really cool realization too. Uh, lastly, the K-pop group with the biggest impact on me lately is TXT. Their work has really, really next level just resonated with me, especially this latest album, The Name Chapter Temptation. There's so much more to it than meets the eye. On its surface, basically, this concept album from them is about... Peter Pan and Neverland, but it's really about, they get to the deeper meaning of the story of Peter Pan, which I find fascinating in a way that really connected with me, um, because Peter Pan is, is a story that's meant to sound very frivolous and fun and useful and about just being young and having an eternally great time in youth. And their album looks at the ways that actually Peter Pan is, is not 
not your friend and he keeps you trapped and stuck in life instead of letting you move forward and grow up and actually you know his neverland is a lot of hidden dangers to it and i found it so fascinating how they put that one of my favorite things about pop culture is that the meaning can become so specific to you even though that's not what they intended maybe but everyone can interpret it differently and so for me it hit me very personally even though they didn't intend to make a parallel story to autistic people they did for me because it got me thinking about the traits associated with childhood which is what the story Peter Pan is at its core it's about the best and worst of being a kid and I realized that autistic people are often viewed as very childish, and we are. We can come across as self-centered and focused on ourselves because our internal worlds are so hard to regulate. It's hard to even contain that enough to care about what's happening in the external world so we can come across as not caring. When we do, we just don't know how to, how to, there's too much else to worry about internally to show that so we might look kind of snobbish. Uh, we can struggle to read people and understand emotions in certain ways. Um, we might not respond in socially acceptable ways yet. We might take longer than other people for certain things. We fear change. We fear the future because we just need routine and stability. There are a lot of uh, traits that are negative associated with childhood and us, but there are also incredible things about the mind of a child that we still have that I think are worth celebrating. We're not jaded. We're not as cynical as some people are. We have this boundless joy to talk about certain things. The topics we are laser focused on and have an encyclopedic knowledge of, we, we have this uncontained joy to talk about them, which is actually pretty cool. We have this boundless energy for certain things. We react with an outsized amount of joy to the littlest things, which is actually a great thing. We prioritize the present moment. We get really giddy sometimes and we can't help but kind of rock back and forth or do other little things like that because we have uncontrolled energy, but that can be actually a really cool thing. We can have these kind of a, a pure new way to look at the world that is worth hearing about from us. One last thing I will say really quickly um, about TXT before moving on to this next story is just that I also learned about myself through the concept of Neverland and it's what it really represents in terms of its false promises. I guess one of my favorite songs ever probably is Farewell Neverland, which ends the album talking about it's time to move on, which is basically I connect it to it's time to become an adult. It's time to realize that the stuff that's scary and, and, and uh, nerve wracking out there, you have the ability to handle, which is kind of what I would have would have been nice to have internalized before because now we have to go back in the timeline for this next story which starts really bad but has a really good ending so it's worth it house party by sam hunt i associate with college orientation weekend which was designed at first with for the most extroverted of extroverted people. It was an autistic person's nightmare. Non-stop social events, big crowds, and just, you know, a lot of gatherings that just brought back flashbacks to masking and a lot happened, long story short, and I was kind of smack dab in the middle of it. I got positioned right next to the drummer, and we had a live band perform something. Uh, I got to enjoy the bright lights and, and eyes on me in the gym while we all sat there by the drums for unknown reasons. And it was an odd, like, quasi-graduation, but we, it wasn't graduation, and we just got there, but I don't know. It was, it was really, really, really incredibly frustrating and just not, not, for, not designed with autistic people's needs in mind at all. Day two was this ropes course slash team building event and nearly every activity required being touched or being, you know, in close proximity to others. And it was really overwhelming. And the instructor was super ignorant, super not understanding of my needs, really singled me out, really was like, why aren't you participating? Get back over here kind of a thing. 
Eventually he changed his tone, which was almost worse because that got patronizing. And he gathered everyone around and basically intimated, this is Hope, she has special needs, so she won't be participating today. So just leave her alone, she can't do this stuff. And the tone was so frustrating because I wasn't ashamed to have people think I have certain needs. I was mad that the first impression he gave my new peers before the year had even officially started was that. And again, that goes back to why you shouldn't define someone by autism because they have so much more they can show you about themselves. If you don't make that seem like the characterization that makes or breaks their presence and what's worthy of acknowledging about it, the weekend ended with a big, loud banquet, house party, and songs like that playing. So here comes the good part that I promised. So after that weekend, freshmen had to write a paper about that weekend. And I knew exactly what people wanted to hear because this is just like the typical first week of school paper, right? Right about how you bonded with your peers and, and you just like you learn to establish trust with them and you learn the value of teamwork and all this this corny stuff that I knew they wanted to hear about this life-changing team building thing we had and I almost did write that essay just because I knew what they wanted to hear I knew I could do it and get a good grade but I was like actually I'm gonna stop and use this minute so I actually decided it would be worth mentally going back to that terrible weekend because I would lay out something valuable, which was all the ways that actually the weekend had been terrible for me. And I said, you know, it was outright hostile to autistic needs. So with my permission, long story short, that paper got into the hands of the planning committee and other staff, and it was the paper was passed around. And the next year, I found out that a lot of the events I had raised concerns about, they had changed, and a lot had become optional too. And I was also just kind of thrown that I had made that difference by speaking out because I hadn't realized the range of people who would benefit from that. I had just spoken out to try to make things better for the autistic people who came after me. And suddenly people with PTSD or other issues of being touched were saying how grateful they were they didn't have to do that. And so that truly made orientation welcome weekend welcoming for more people. And so that lesson was so valuable to me. I learned that when I advocate for myself, it's not selfish, it's actually advocating for others. And that the, the fight for a more equal world that where everyone feels welcome is intrinsically linked to that fight in other people and what their stories are too. Different challenges, but at the end of the day, I can, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats kind of a thing. And so the stories I share today are about someone who just happens to be autistic, which affects everything about me, but my story is so much more than that. So I've dealt with a lot that I've talked about today, deaths of loved ones, bullying, mental health issues. I didn't really have time to even get into that. Despite all these things, I have graduated college and I now have some of my sociology work published. I also have writing, started a new a sub stack and uh, I've created a website. I run two podcasts who have an audience in 50 countries and counting. Um, I've also interviewed over 100 people. I've really kind of risen through the ranks on my own building a brand. And so now 17 Karat K-pop has covered press events in person and virtually done so many cool things. I've talked to the artists, I've talked to managers, journalists, influencers, authors for both podcasts, but especially in the world of K-pop, which has been incredible. And you'll notice that I've done all this and I'm still autistic. And that's what I'm saying is every successful autistic person you know is still autistic. They didn't shed themselves of the autism and then become successful. They still are autistic, but they found the tools and the support needed to fully realize and step into what they are good at, what they're passionate about, and have the people there encouraging that path for them.
So I started thriving personally and professionally when I stopped toning down who I am and I started just treating my differences as strengths. And it's actually an asset to be laser focused on one topic for a lot of time because I realized I could actually create unique interview content. Artists get tired of the questions others ask them. And I'm such a genuine fan that I can give, I can ask real interesting thought provoking questions, I think, and go really deep with them about their albums that hit me so hard. And so we actually get to talk about what I always talked about back in those dance recitals, which was I'm just here for the art. I'm not here for the, the surface level show of it all. I'm here to get deep and talk about what this is really about and how art shows tells a human story. And so artists, I think, are appreciative to talk to me because I actually want to know the things they want to talk about. I don't want to be like asking gotcha questions or just being like, who are you dating now or stuff like that. I really care about the art itself. And I think that has helped me and helped my interview stand out. The point being that autistic people often do have something that they're really into, whether it's music or something else. And that's not a bad thing because you can channel that into a passion project that kind of turns into a career. I have two main messages to close with. One is for autistic people and one is for allies. First, for autistic kids, do not grow up thinking you need to conceal parts of yourself to feel whole. Don't spend your days trying to figure out why you don't have a spark in you because you do. It just takes time to find the place, time, people, and interests who will help you find that spark and light it up. People will frame your autism as a reason to feel bad for you or treat you like damaged goods, but you can and should prove them wrong because in many ways being autistic is amazing. The struggles that come with it are not from an inherent character flaw. They're coming from being unfairly expected to navigate a world not designed for you. If you aspire to go to college but don't think you can handle it, please think of me and know that you can with the right support and environment. And if people act like providing that right support and environment is asking the world of them, don't internalize that judgment because that's not true. Don't be ashamed to ask for what you need. You will find your passions not by masking, but by making sure the world accepts you without that mask. My message for people who just want to be an ally, I decided to keep it simple because all you really need is to lend an ear and have an open mind. So I'm just going to say two L's. Listen to us and let us be, or leave us alone. I haven't decided. But the point is, one is listening, one is just leaving us. So one is just please listen to us because everyone's different. Like I said before, not everyone cares if you say they have autism or they are autistic, but I care about the semantics and some people just think they're just semantics. So ask, like don't assume anything about any autistic person. You gotta meet them first and you just, if you meet an autistic person, you've met an autistic person. That is one person, we're all very different. So remember that and always listen and leave us alone slash let us be who we are. Just let us be. Oftentimes the things we do that are weird quirks aren't bugging you or they really aren't, if you think about it, a hindrance to you in any way. So please just let us be and we're not harming anyone. As an autistic person, I go through life kind of like a passive observer. I feel like an onlooker who is just kind of invited to observe the spectacle of human behavior, but not given an unconditional pass to fully participate. But every autistic person has some source of joy and passion that pulls them in and makes them feel like they are part of the middle of the action. For me, that source is and was music because that's given me my aha moments where I feel like this is what it's like to be fully human. This is the human experience. I understand that message in a new way. And every autistic person has an aha moment ability. They can get there through their passion. If you just let them be who they are, they will stumble upon what gets them fired up and what makes them realize what it's like to just be another person in the world and connect with others. Everyone has the potential to connect with others and shine their light if you just let them find it. 
So our only agenda as autistic people is to show the world who we are without feeling like we are expected to conform to belong in this world. So please do not make us dim our lights when there's plenty of space for all kinds of minds to shine. Please do not crush our spirits when we have so much to offer. And know that any changes people fear that would come from a more autism-friendly world actually create a more vibrant, welcoming world for everybody. After all, if we say we want to make the world better and more inclusive of different ways of flourishing, that's your world too. We're not talking about a different world. This is the world, the shared world. So making the world more vibrant and embracing of neurodiversity can only help you too. It doesn't take away from anyone. It's an, you got to have an abundance mentality when it comes to uh, what people can bring to any situation. So please listen to us. Please let us be who we are. And please get to know us both as autistic people. Those experiences are important, but also outside of being autistic. We have very unique and multidimensional stories and perspectives, and I invite everyone to be a part of our audience. Thank you very much for your time and attention.